um, which will be, have a little bit different Ash Wednesday service. Um, the arts team has done a lot of work to make that happen. Becky, Jenny, others. Um, you're going to need to reserve a time. It's a specific, there's lots of time slots uh, spaced a few minutes apart because you'll start at stations and move through stations. Uh, culminating, you'll still get the ash on your forehead. I know that's what you're asking. Will I get the ash on my forehead? Yes, you will still get ash on your forehead. Um, but it'll just look a little bit differently. So sign up for that. Uh, join us on Ash Wednesday. And from there, we're starting uh, a kind of corporate practice in Lent. Um, with, we have a no number of resources for you back on this table back here. I'm just going to show you uh, some of what they look like. This is a, a devotional that you can use through the season of Lent. And the themes and passages are from a book uh, called Radical Reconciler by Chris Wright. Um, but the actual content, the actual devotions are written by people in our church. Um, I did one, Rachel Toon, Dr. Gray, um, Wade, the Lukowitzes, Courtney Pauly. So you'll have for the six full weeks, not starting Wednesday, but starting the week, like a week from today, it'll cover six full weeks of the season of Lent. And so it's Amy Berry put these together. They're very nice looking. It look way nicer than I, if I would have done it. Um, the, you have the, the passages, a prayer, and a devotional, then also some journaling pages if you wanted to use those. So that's back there. Um, also, uh, we'll talk more about this the, for, for the rest of the Sundays. Uh, we are inviting you to participate in, in what's called a rule of life. If you were here last week or listened last week, that again, that's not rules. Nobody's being the boss of you um, except Jesus, uh, which is not me, to be clear. The rule of life uh, has this card. It's this card, and it's got uh, six things that we're inviting you to make a part of your spiritual rhythm and habit. Uh, that God would cultivate things like silence before him, listening, prayer, uh, gratitude, things like this. And if you go to valleyhope.church slash rule, there are more resources there for you about that. You can find a worksheet to develop your own personal rule of life, which is a good spiritual practice at any time in your life. Um, and there will be... They, it can guide you through that process. There's some uh, further teaching about what the that idea is. But make sure you pick up one of these cards um, and, and check out what we're doing. And I'll be talking about each one of these themes through the next, all the six Sundays in front of us. And then uh, there's also a, a little postcard back there. We're going to have four midweek kind of classes, seminars, we're calling them, that are connected to these spiritual practices that we're doing together. Um, teaching on Bible study and what that might look like. Teaching One of them is uh, Kelly McClellan's going to do uh, a yoga class via Zoom that you can participate in. One of our practices is going to just be moving our bodies because Paul says our body is part of our worship um, so there's, there'll be four of those things that we'll do midweek. Make sure you check that out. That's a postcard size thing over there. And then finally is Becky's going to come up and explain uh, what we have for your kids both today and, and how they can participate with us. So you're going to talk about this thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Hello, I am Becky, uh, the children's director, for those of you who don't know me. And so 
We want our kids, so kids listen up, to practice also in this rule of life. It's um, a little bit simpler than what is on the other cards for the adults, but it's easy tasks that kids can um, practice what we're learning each week. Um, and so each week also during the service, we're going to pass out crafts. Um, you should have gotten one already if you were a kid. If you're in the fellowship hall, they're on the back table. Um, and it's just a worksheet that has some prayer hands and some crayons. Each week it'll be different. Um, but it's for the kids to um, be able to listen in to what we're learning and be able to practice that in their own life because um, you can have a relationship with the Lord uh, your whole entire life. And so um, this week it's prayer hands. And so what I would like you kids to do is on each finger, write um, a name of someone you want to be praying for this week. If you don't know how to write their name, you could just draw a picture of them um, and you can put it by your bedside or on a mirror or somewhere you remember that you can pray for them every day. And so like this week, our prayer thing says every day start the day in prayer. So pray for these people in the morning. You don't have to pray for them each single one every single day, um, but you could take one person and pray for them each morning. Um, and so that's what you'll be doing this week, kids. And each week I'll come up and explain what the craft is and how it relates to our rule of life. So, yep. Thank you. Becky is going to be here every week. Um, the, the, the craft is not just to like another piece of paper for your kid to draw on. It's, it's meant for you to connect um, hopefully what you're doing in your life and bring your kids and incorporate it into their life. So whatever that looks like for your child, maybe your child can actually write names in that finger. Uh, I don't think Hope will be doing that um, for, for my child, youngest child, but maybe it'll be an awesome drawing. I can't wait to see that. Hope, did you hear that? You got to draw somebody in the fingers, okay? Draw somebody as best you can. That'll be great. Um, all right, let me read uh, our passages for this morning. This morning we're going to be talking about uh, this first principle of, of our rule of life, which is that we start the day in quiet prayer and reading of Scripture. So I'm going to read from the Old Testament uh, and a psalm and from the Gospel of Mark. Start in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. <clears throat> Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. 
Psalm chapter 1, very first psalm. The psalmist writes, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a stream planted by he is like a tree planted by streams of water. They yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And then finally from the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 1. And then we'll flip over to chapter 6. Chapter 1, verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go, let us go on to the next town, that I might preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And then from chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we pray that we'd be listeners of the word, that we'd be hearers and we'd be doers. God, would you please open our hearts, open our eyes, help us to love you, help us to stay with you. Amen. So we're inviting you to participate in a rule of life. Not that we're laying down rules for you, but like, just like a ruler does not, it's not a rule for your life. A ruler measures things, it keeps things straight. It's that kind of rule. And in this rule of life that we're talking about together, what we're saying is that the people of God need this thing. We need to be people, first and foremost, who retreat alone with God to pray and to listen to his scriptures. And that is a a guiding uh, principle in our life. It, it, It holds us true. It keeps us on the way that is straight. So that is a good ruler to have laid against the boundaries of our life together. And so what we're talking about and why we're bringing our children into this while we're inviting you to do this, is that what we want you to see and to believe and to understand is that Christian life following Jesus is not a matter of coming to church once a week. It's not just that. That is following Jesus actively and participating in the life that God has with you is Far more significant than that. And I think most people uh, in, in churches, evangelical churches like ours, they understand that. They would, they would nod their head to that. And probably the, the most uh, clear application of that commitment is, is like your ethics. 
you should be a good person. Which is true. The Bible has a lot to say about the kind of person that you should be and what you should do with the various parts of your life. But we want, what we want to be careful to also make clear is that actively following Jesus is also not just a once-a-week thing. That actively living a life with God requires participation with him in the totality of our life. And what we want our children to grow up seeing, what we want our kids to hear and to see, is that God does not just want for them a once-a-week meeting, believing the right ideas, and being a good person. And if Christian life gets totally reduced down to those things, I think that what our kids will see and what we are seeing our children see is that is not enough. A great many children, young people, are walking away from the faith because Christian life has been reduced down to believing the right things in their mind, going to a boring meeting once a week, and trying to be a moral person. And that is a totally unappealing sale in the world that we live in. And so people have tried in various ways to, to address that. To say, well, let's make our Sunday service more fun and entertaining. That will make people come and want to stay here. Because once a week, they'll get to go to a cooler show. And I'm sorry... But no matter how cool your show is on Sunday, if it's still a once-a-week show, it's not cool enough. And any concert that any of our kids could go to, that you and I could go to, is still going to be cooler. And that doesn't work. It hasn't worked for the decades that churches have tried it. Just making your once-a-week experience cooler, that does not work. And if it's just uh, holding the right ideas in your brain, which is very important, when you live in a world that is constantly feeding you more information and more ideas that are also appealing, your options are either just make the ideas in your brain sharper and better, or you have to acknowledge that smart people exist elsewhere. And so people will say, that's not holding them either. So what do we do? Do we crank down on, on the lever of morality? And that's a way that a lot of churches have approached this is you should fear being a bad person. God wants you to be a good person. You should be afraid of being a bad person. And, and what, what is that doing? Producing kids, adults who mostly associate the church, Jesus, with fear and shame. And that's not working either. The missing piece, I would say, that they can maybe knit some of these other ideas together is the understanding that following Jesus is something that consumes your entire life. It is not just a meeting that we go to once a week. It is not just dictating how the behaviors that we live towards other people and think in our hearts and our minds. It is not just holding right ideas in our mind. All of those things important. But actively engaging with God is something that bears on our everyday life. 
because we were made to rest with him. Last, last week, we, we read the Gospel of John, and we heard Jesus say, Stay with me. Stay with me. And what I, what I want you to see in, in these scriptures is that it requires constant attention to actually stay with God. The book of Deuteronomy is, is supremely concerned with this question, that Israelites are about to enter the promised land, and they are about to have success, and they're going to be busy having success conquering the promised land. And one of the major themes of the book of Deuteronomy is do not forget. Remember, remember, remember. And you could hear it in the passage that we read in Deuteronomy 6. There's this prayer that Israel is supposed to pray again and again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They pray this thing they're supposed to. Every day they're supposed to pray the Shema. This con constant confession, we have one God. And from there in the passage of Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says you should put these things in front of your eyes. You should put it on your doorpost. You should remember this all the time, you and your children. Constantly, because you cannot forget, I have prepared everything for you. You did not do this, Israel. When you go into the promised land, you're going to occupy houses that you didn't build. You are going to pull fruit from a garden that you did not plant. You are going to pull water out of wells that you did not dig. I did that for you. Do not forget. Don't forget. You can see it in chapter 7 and chapter 8, this repeated refrain, do not forget what I have done for you. Remember, remember, remember. My suggestion to you is that, the, is that Moses is speaking this again and again because people forget. The disposition, the nature, the habit of our hearts is that of forgetfulness. When Jesus commands his, his disciples to stay with him, he's actually speaking something to them that they are innately not prone to. They, they are, by habit, prone to wander away. But in Deuteronomy chapter 6, in, in the Gospel of John that we read, in Psalm chapter 1 that we read, what is the promise that's given to the people who remember and to stay with God? It's flourishing. It's life. The psalmist in Psalm chapter 1 presents two different ways of life. If you listen to the law of the Lord, you'll be like a tree planted by a stream. And you'll live. And you'll flourish. And if you, if you take the way of the fool, which is to ignore God, you will shrivel and you will die. And what God wants for his people is life. He wants flourishing. He wants liveliness for you. And when we open the Gospels, I just pulled a couple examples. When we open the Gospels, we see that Jesus' habit is to constantly retreat away. And it's not because he's, he's like not busy. 
If, you, if anything, you see it's actually in the busiest moments of Jesus's life in the Gospels. Those are actually the moments when he most repeatedly retreats away. The Gospel of Mark uses this language of desolate places. He moves away into desolate places to pray and to be alone with God. And if the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, needs to retreat away regularly to be with God, to remain with God, to stay with God, if the Son of God needs to do that, you and I desperately need to learn the habit of solitude with God. The life that we are being trained to lead right now is one of noise and busyness and, and pace. It is running frantically to and fro all the time. And what's important to understand about learning these habits of following Jesus, of being engaged in the life with God of him, is, is not that we are trying to earn God's favor. And if we behave well enough, then we can beckon God closer to us. If we can just be attractive enough spiritually, we can, we can get him to come. We can get him to come closer. We can get this enough spiritual aroma about us that he will be attracted to us. And like we're baiting God with our behavior. That is not... The, the roadmap that's laid in front of us, it's instead that we are moving away from the banqueting table that God has already laid out for us. And so we have to have the discipline, we have to have the, the rule laid out for us, the straight line to say, these are the boundaries so that I don't move far away from the full table that God has for me in his love. There is no labor here to try to make ourselves appealing to God. But instead, there is just the constant attention to remembering that he exists. And if we could talk about our spiritual life quite honestly, that is the very small target that we are after moment by moment, day by day, week by week, do you remember that God exists? I'll tell you the truth about my life. I largely live in ignorance and willful forgetfulness that God is actually real. That if you looked at the inner workings of my mind, the patterns of my emotions, the behaviors of my life, moment to moment to moment, if you were to look at the evidence, you would say, that guy does not believe that God exists. Because the habit of our heart is forgetfulness. It is constant forgetfulness. And what spiritual life with Jesus is, is attentiveness. Attention to Jesus. The scriptures and prayer in the scriptures is a constant invitation to the desolate place with Jesus. I don't know about you. 
I have spent some time in, in wilderness settings. I, I know that's not everybody's gig. That's not everybody's thing. Uh, it wasn't for me growing up. I grew up uh, in Florida to Floridians. And it's hot in Florida. I don't know if you've heard. But nobody in my family did things like camping or backpacking because it is hot. Okay? You people in North Carolina, we people in North Carolina, I'm one of us now, uh, we complain when it's like 93 degrees. Oh my goodness, it's so hot. My friend, that's like April 14th in Florida, and it doesn't stop until December. And it's 100% humidity all the time. My experiences coming in from recess in elementary school was of sweat just soaking every piece of clothing that I had and pooling in my plastic desk chair. That was my life in Florida. Are you telling me that we're going to go for fun into that sauna for days on end? Heck no, techno. God bless air conditioning. That is where we will live, there or in the swimming pool. I did not grow up in a wilderness-loving family. It just wasn't a thing. But I always kind of wanted it. I wanted, I wanted to live where, one, there were seasons, and, and two, where there was mountains. My ambition growing up in life was to somehow, and I wasn't clear on this part, have enough money to buy a mountain where I could live on that mountain by myself. That is what I wanted. I'm not making that up ahead of, uh, after the fact. I'm telling you, this was my ambition as early as third grade. I wanted to ride around on a horse on my mountain, shoot my food, eat it, and live alone in the woods where it was not hot like this anymore. I cannot ride a horse or shoot animals or cook them, but that's what I wanted. As I came here, I came to a place where there's mountains and there's seasons. And I met people who didn't just hang out in air conditioning all the time. I took college classes where I could go spend the night in the woods. So on multiple occasions in my life, I've spent weeks out in the wilderness doing backpacking trips. You are very close to wilderness, and you can forget that. But if you go up into Montreat, if you go up on the parkway and you walk for like an hour, you're there. Okay? You're in designated wilderness. What's so powerful and important about wilderness is that you see that closeness and you go out to the wilderness that is just right outside your doorstep and it's exhilarating and intimidating to realize I am very close to dying now if you're if you know what you're doing you won't die you should do it you're not going to die probably but you could when a storm rolls in and you're on a backpacking trip and you're on top of a ridge you are very aware I could die up here. The thunder and lightning is very close to my brain, and I could die. And there's no roof for me to go run under. There's just the stuff that's on my back, and there's my legs, and I need to figure this out. When, when you are thirsty in the wilderness, you are aware that there is no faucet anywhere. You have to go to the place where there is water. And you have to treat the water appropriately because the wilderness is also in the water and could kill you from the inside, possibly. Everything takes on weight and meaning because you realize that your life is fragile. 
We live under the illusion that our lives are, are thick and strong and concrete. But when you get into the wilderness, the wilderness tells you the truth about yourself, which is that you are tiny and clueless. And you could so easily snap. The fragility of your life is on display. And what I, what I want, you, want to invite you to see is the scriptures and a life of prayer is that kind of experience. That when, when the scriptures and when prayer ceases to get off of your list, is like, I just need to be a good person to hold the right ideas in my head. I need to just check this off my thing. But if you actually engage the scriptures and you engage in prayer, you are invited into the wilderness and the desolate place that is life with God. Because when you remember that God exists and that you stand before God as the unbounded, infinite and majestic creator of the universe, you can feel every feature of your smallness and the hidden things of your life start to leach to the surface. The wilderness of God's presence draws that out of you. And this explains the difficulty that we have in prayer and in reading of Scripture. And I, I was reading in, in, in Jeremiah, I think it was 41, and the whole chapter was about some dude getting murdered. And I, I did not encounter Jeremiah chapter 41 and say, Mm, this, is, this is rich. This is a rich, this speaks to me. I don't, I don't know what it was saying. But when we come to the scriptures and we don't know what it's doing, a lot of times we are experiencing the disorientation of the wilderness of God. And, and sometimes the value of reading scripture and engaging with God in scripture in the mornings before your day starts is to be disoriented in the presence of God and to simply say, I can't even understand this. But you're here and this is your word and you have the right, you have the authority and I'm making the space in my life for you to do whatever you want in me with this. And you feel the smallness of your existence before God. Prayer, a life of prayer, is not about you and I figuring out the formula to get God to do what we want. That is not the purpose. It is not the effect of prayer. Prayer is to stand before God and to learn to pray the thing that Jesus taught us to pray. You do your will here as if this place was heaven. Do that in my life. And yes, I, I know that you love me and you, I, you can uh, tell me that you're trustworthy and I can tell you everything that I want in my life. But I am standing in the wildness of God and saying, you are free to do with me what you will. And when you habitually do these things in prayer and in reading of scripture, that thing just kind of washes over you again and again over the lifetime that you spend in these desolate places with God. And you are nourished by God's bigness. And what's happening is you're being trained habitually to stand in these moments of your life that you don't even understand and to look to God. And so when you hear Deuteronomy say, do not forget, do not forget, this helps us remember 
So when I experience disorienting moments in my every day, hopefully over a lifetime, what I'm being taught is to turn my heart to God and to say, what is going on? What are you doing? Help me. I'm so small and so frail. And let let me put this to you. A life with God that transcends just ideas in your brain, trying to be a moral person, coming to a meeting once once a week, but instead actually invites you into wilderness experience and the quietness of your house and the ordinary rhythms of your day, that is a life that pushes back against the frantic noise of this world. That is following Jesus every day. That is not just a a lecture or a lesson or a pattern of behavior or, or a very poor version of a weekly show. That is life with the God of the universe. And that thing holds power. And that thing holds depth and richness and vitality. And so what God wants for you becomes all the more believable. God wants me to stay at the banquet table of his love all the time. When I encounter him, I only believe it all the more. He wants me to stay at the banquet table of his love. The table is set. The feast is full. The inheritance is rich. The stream is flowing. And we together journey towards it. And when we wander away, every five minutes, we have the pleasure and the joy of saying to God, I'm so distracted. Help me come back to you. Help me come back to you. As someone said, to return to God a thousand times over is a pleasure, not a shame. I don't know what this looks like for you in your life. Maybe you need to read one verse of Scripture and start by spending five minutes in prayer. If you're starting with a zero, do not try to read a third of the book of Psalms in one morning. I do not advise that to you. Start with a verse or a psalm to meditate on and spend five minutes in the wilderness of God's presence. Take baby steps and find that God is not there standing over you as a disapproving father saying you should do better, but is instead saying to you, welcome to the table. Stay with me every moment that you can. I will give you rest in life. And when you wander, come back and stay again. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we we are people prone to, to disobey the command in Deuteronomy. We are people prone to forget and to wander. And Jesus, I pray that you'd help us. You would would bring us into this thing, this liveliness, this vitality that is following you. And Father, we, we, we confess we are so easily distracted. Our hearts wander all the time. Our minds wander. I pray that you would help us. 
I pray that you would make this thing following you more than a church thing, more than just being a good person, more than just holding the right ideas. God, I pray that this would invade our hearts and that you would seize a hold of us and that throughout our day we would remember who you are. We'd remember your existence, your closeness, your nearness and what you've done for us. God, we have the attention of a fruit fly. Help us and our tiny little minds and cold hearts to constantly return and to find you ever waiting for us, setting the table for feasting, that we might feast on your love. Thank you for this, Jesus. Amen.